Hey, beautiful people, you're listening to The Hero Report, a show that celebrates Black beauty 24-7-365. I'm your host, Olivia Hancock, and during each episode, I chat with incredible Black beauty entrepreneurs, editors, and executives about their career journeys, unique experiences with beauty, and the products that work for them. For today's episode, I'm talking with the Shantae Lundy, who is the founder of Black Girl Sunscreen. I'm very excited about this episode because I'm an avid user of Black Girl Sunscreen, and by avid, I mean I use it every single day because we all need to be wearing SPF every single day. Black Girl Sunscreen is amazing because it delivers sun protection and hydration without leaving behind a white cast or sticky residue on our skin like many sunscreens do. So during our conversation, Shante shares what it's been like building a better sunscreen for black people. She talks about how she started off by doing some very simple Google searches like sunscreen for brown skin and sunscreen for black skin, and the results she found offered nothing that spoke to her. So from there, she hit the ground running to develop what we know today as black girl sunscreen. And I have to give a little side note that the tail end of our conversation was cut off due to some technical difficulties while recording, but this episode is still full of some incredible personal professional insights from Shantae. Keep on listening to hear from her, and I hope you love this episode as much as I do. My favorite place to start is at the beginning because I feel like, you know, our roots and where we come from really pave the way for who we are today. So where are you from and what was little Shantae into growing up? (laughs) Uh, Where am I from? Um, I am originally from a small town in upstate New York named Newburgh. And if you're familiar with New York, um, Newburgh is about an hour and a half north of the Bronx. Um, most people consider it like country just because it's outside of the five boroughs, but it's not really country at all. Mm-hmm. And what was little Shantae like? Um, you know, I wouldn't say a sassy little girl, but just a little girl that thought that she knew everything, you know, um, very mature for her age. Um, always wanted to be in grown people's conversation, <laughs> understand what they're talking about. And um, both my parents were in the army, so my grandparents uh, raised me for a bit. So a lot of their values and principles uh, were instilled in me early on. So, you know, um, like having manners. So saying, excuse me, thank you, please, for pretty much everything that you do. And um, addressing adults by uh, the first their first name. Mm-hmm. So if, it's, if the neighbor was Susie, that was Miss Susie to us, right? Mm-hmm. Anyone that older. So um, I started playing the violin at the age of uh, seven. Wow. And yeah. And um, that's where I would say my confidence uh, started to kind of kick in because I was doing like solos and duets um, in my elementary school from a young age. And Mm -hmm. um, that's where I kind of like learned my confidence because it was, it's a big deal being a little person, a young person and having yeah. to go in, in front of an audience, whether it's, you know, a hundred students in your elementary school, because we would have to play uh, for like the holiday concert yeah. or like the, end of the year concert. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. No, I do. I, I played cello for about five years in elementary yeah. school. <laughs> got it. Got it. Um, okay. So I played the violin up until um, high school. And that's only because... I felt I stopped playing because a my school, um, the high school that I went to, didn't offer um, music at that level, and then it became like nerdy. 
Mm-hmm. And when you're in high school, it's like, what's cool, right? Yeah. Like, if you want to be cool, and cool wasn't carrying this big ass instrument around, yeah, um, it was like being a cheerleader, or um, you know, being in sports. So I quickly learned that, and um, I was captain of my cheerleading squad, eleventh uh, and twelfth grade, and I also ran track um, while maintaining uh, a part time job. So my day would look like, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. for, you know, to get ready to go to school for a seven o'clock class, like first mm-hmm. period or whatever, going to school from whatever, seven to two, and then whatever sports I was in from three to like 5.30, and then I would have a, a job from six to nine. Mm. Wow. There's so many parallels there because I, I had, yeah. I was in cheer my first two years of high school. I worked as well. So there's like, there's so many things that relate to you there. The cello playing, like playing an instrument. There's so many um, similarities there in our story, but I would love to know when you were in high school growing up, was there any career field that you thought you wanted to go into? Like, was it, did you have a dream job back in the, back in the day? No, I mean, so in sixth grade, I could remember doing um, this like project on the presidents. Mm-hmm. And um, I always wanted to be like the first black president. This is when I was in the sixth grade. Wow. Um, but you thought that like being the president, you had to go to an Ivy League school and you had to be on a certain like, you know, um, path. Mm-hmm. It was never something that like I thought would ever happen, but like I would say it. Yeah. Um, and then going into high school and even entering college, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say today that if I wasn't, you know, on the entrepreneur path, I would want to be a professional violinist. Um, wow. Yeah, but going into college, I had no idea. Mm. I was just about to touch on college. So, I mean, your educational resume is just so impressive and incredible. But when you were in college, um, can you talk about that time for you? And I know you ended up pursuing uh, business economics and undergrad, but what was your undergrad experience like? Did you come out of it knowing, having a clearer vision of, of what you wanted? So I went in uh, undergrad as an L-Ed major, so elementary education, and that means you could just teach K through six. And I have siblings that are at least a decade younger than me. Mm -hmm. And um, so that means they were growing up as I was in college and them suckers was bad as hell. So I was (laughs) like, "Uh I don't have the patience for this, right? Like seeing how they were and like thinking that if kids can act like this, and I wouldn't say they were just disobedient because they were my siblings, mm-hmm. but like kids don't necessarily have to listen to you. So I was just like, like, that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then um, I changed my major in 10th grade to to business. Mm-hmm. And what I understood from business that is that it was so broad that you can go in whatever direction you wanted. Yeah. And even leaving college, it was just kind of like, okay, you just go work for a major corporation. Mm-hmm. Right. With that type of degree. And um, I wouldn't change my college experience. In fact, I really, really enjoyed my college experience as I feel like it um, continued to develop like my time management, my time management skills, mm-hmm. how I prioritize just really being irres- um, responsible and independent. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't say that I like learned anything specifically in college. I mean, I did pretty a lot of case studies, which like now to this day, I'm like, oh, OK, I remember that. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And even going into grad school, you know, working in groups and problem solving, it was like, okay, like I remember some of this stuff, but it's like broad things. It's not like down to the detail. Yeah. I completely agree with you there. I actually just graduated from college in December. So it's, I have that same sentiment of like the things that I've taken away from undergrad. It's, it's those larger picture things is it's my compared to like the, the smaller details. Congratulations on that degree. Thank you. In the middle of pandemic. <laughs> so, uh, how'd, how'd your graduation go? So we actually weren't able to walk or anything, but they had an outdoor ceremony here in Georgia um, for us so that we got to like stand, be recognized, but we didn't have that like crossing the stage moment, which kind of sucked. So like when they called your name, you just kind of stood up and then people <laughs> clapped? Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of weird because my Georgia State is such a big school. So there were so many people in there. So it was just back-to-back names popping up in the crowd for you, your little moment of recognition. Yeah. It's still like that walking across the stage, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not much more. <laughs> yeah, crazy. But, I mean, you still got to graduate. Yeah. And um, really, like transitional time, but... I'll even say this, uh, things will continue to change. Like I know fourth graders doing PowerPoint presentations right now. And in fourth grade, like I couldn't even fathom doing a PowerPoint presentation. You know, we were making things, you know, our presentations were like things from our house. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I just think about how things are transforming right in front of our eyes. Not to say that like, it's okay to be robbed from your experience if you felt like that. But who knows what's going to happen even after, you know, um, the situation kind of clears up. Yeah, that's so true. Um, jumping back into school after you finished undergrad, did you you went right into graduate school, right? I did. OK, so that brought you to Miami. And I want to talk about why did you decide on Miami for, for your graduate experience? <laughs> <laughs> really good question. Good question. Uh, thanks for that. So. And my father is, uh, he actually lived in Miami. I hadn't met him though, um, until I was like 12 years old and I would go, uh, to Miami, like in the summers, mm-hmm. um, a couple times. So 12 years old is in the sixth grade. Right. Yeah. Um, and then in 2002, I chose to go to spring break or, <laughs> um, you know, just go to uh, like spring break. And me and my friend, we had a blast and I was like, Oh, this would be a great place to live. And, um, junior year, I was like, okay, well, I started applying for, um, my MBA and I was like, I'm only going to school in Miami. Like, does mm-hmm. anybody want to come with me? <laughs> and I was like recruiting. I was recruiting my friend from college to move down to, to, to South Florida. And, uh, one girl was like, yeah, I'll go. And I was like, okay, cool. So I, I got in to, um, to St. Thomas university, which is in, in uh, Miami mm-hmm. and, uh, went down and visited the campus. And I mean, I was sold. I already knew that I wanted to be down there. The sun, the fun. I mean, it, it's just a different vibe than living in anywhere actually. Yeah. Like anywhere, like nobody has the same vibes, like not even Los Angeles. So, and that's where I currently reside. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And after I graduated college, I worked at a diner for like a month. So graduation was uh, May. Mm -hmm. I worked at the diner from like May to June and then 
June 3rd, I packed up my car and I drove down to, to, to Florida. That was June, J- July 2nd, excuse me. And I was in Miami for the 4th of July. Wow. And I did that all by <laughs> myself with MapQuest directions because we didn't have um, Google, Waze Google Maps. Google. <laughs> hmm. We didn't have any of that. We didn't even have iPhones. Uh, so, you know, my uncle was, and my, and my grandmother was just like, you know, call us when you get to the hotel, you know, stop here. Cause it's just a state, it's a straight shot. You take mm-hmm. the 95 South. Right. And my grandmother, she had a condo off 125th street, which is in Florida. And my, my uncle was like, just get off on 125th street and make that left. And you're going to see nannies. That's my grandmother, the, the high rise. And I did it all by myself. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, so yeah, during yeah. Your, your graduate experience, were you working the whole time? Like, did you hold down a mm-hmm. nine to five while you, so what were you doing? What was your, your nine to five kind of like? No, I didn't do a nine to five. So, um, so let's not let, so I, I can't like downplay what I had to do, right. To stay mm-hmm. afloat because I didn't necessarily have like a safety net or financial support. I were, I was doing things on my own. And that meant, um, you know, paying college tuition for graduate school. And then I worked part time after graduate school. Well, it depended on the day. Right. Because my mm-hmm. classes were six to ten. But like, I don't know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursdays, let's just say. And so I would work on the days that I didn't have class and then on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So af- after you wrap up your graduate program, what was your your out like outlook what were you trying to do after your graduate program you know it's hard because typically when you um you know for me I felt like the trajectory was to continue with higher education and that would have been like the PhD Mm -hmm. um the PhD degree and um but I, I still needed income and what I was running into was okay, well, you have this um, education, but you don't have any hands-on, like you haven't worked anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the hardest things for folks right now is is young graduates is that, you know, companies are asking for, I don't know, five years experience and like, you know, two degrees or a degree. And you're like, but when did I have time? You know what I mean? Like, this is really challenging. And that's what I was running into. So it was like a lot of the entry-level jobs, I just felt like I was under overqualified. Like, do you not see that this person has a master's and you want to pay me 30,000? That was like the entry mm-hmm. um, compensation at the time. And so it was frustrating, but um, I, I didn't give up. And yeah. um, I just jumped into corporate America because, you know, my wall, my, my, um, I was up against the wall when it came to finances mm-hmm. and um, it was something I had to do, but I don't regret how I did it. Yeah. So for you, while you are, while you were in corporate America, where when did the idea for Black Girl Sunscreen start trickling into your your mind? Not until I moved um, over to Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. you know, my Miami years were early. You know, two thousand four, mm-hmm. two thousand five. I think we're we're at twenty twenty one. So I moved for the first time to Los Angeles in two thousand and like seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't until then, I mean, I became a woman of the sun in South Florida because I was on the beach. I was doing like outdoor activities, but, um, I wasn't even really thinking of, of, of sun protection. My friend would offer the offer to me. Mm-hmm. My friends were always offering sunscreen to me throughout all of my, my years. Right. Because mm-hmm. I had diverse, diverse friends, white, biracial, a black 
And but the um, but it was more of the lighter skin people that would offer it to me, like, hey, you should probably wear sunscreen. I'm like, mm-mm. Do you know how this looks on my skin? Yeah. You know, so I really just disregard everything that they had to, to say about it. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, um, and I was doing like a lot of hiking, my uh good friend was just like, You should really consider it. And while you're at it, can you put this on my back? I'm like, girl, <laughs> no, I'm not putting it back because I don't have anywhere to wash my hands. Right. And the thing mm-hmm. about it was putting on sunscreen, like it always left your hands with not even the white residue, but just a sticky residue. Mm-hmm. And if you're like out on the beach and or out hiking, like there's there's nothing to do but just have it on your hands. So um, the idea came really um, back in 2016. So you had the idea. Where did you start in terms of bringing this idea from just a thought in your head to a reality? Where did I start? Um, yeah. Google. That's I just real. started <laughs> typing in. Uh, and Google is the answer for a lot of our questions. I don't even know if, how, if we understand how much we rely on the internet for information, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. before I ask anybody anything, I just Google it. Yeah. I feel like cross-reference it, like seriously. So, uh, so yeah, I just went online and was like, Hey, you know, um, uh, key, I put on keywords like, uh, sunscreen for brown skin, sunscreen for black skin, sunscreen for ethnic skin, and just came up with like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing that spoke to me anyway, just the, the normal brands, the, the traditional brands. But, um, like I was already familiar with those sunscreens because that's what was currently on the market. I wanted something that really spoke to me and, and that thought about me you know, and I couldn't. And then once I realized that there was this white space, I wouldn't even call it a white space then. I, I don't even know what that, I didn't know what that word meant. It was just like, oh, I wonder if I'm the only black girl that's looking for a sunscreen that will rub into their skin completely. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I can't be. Huh, I wonder if anybody would buy this. Huh, I don't know. Right. But once I convinced myself that like, yeah, I'm probably not. Then I was like, okay, what what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. How do I make it? How much does it cost? So once I figured out all those answers to those questions, then I move forward. And there's no blueprint to creating a, a product. It's really about how you create it, right? Like, mm-hmm. what are your next steps? Do you call somebody to say, hey, what do I do? Or do you Google it? Or, you know... Do you go to the store and like look at ingredients on on packages and start to look at like what what those mean? So there's so many different paths. But what I did was, how do you make sunscreen? Like that's what I do. How, how do you make sunscreen? Where do you start? Yeah, and so yeah. with the, with the formula of Black Girl Sunscreen, I mean, you touched on a lot of the things that it's changed. You know, it's not ashy. It doesn't leave this white cast. It's not making your hands sticky. For you, what were, and I think a lot of people would love to know, what are some of the ingredients in sunscreen that make, give, that make it ashy and white and sticky and that you left out of your formula? Um, well, so there's two, form, there's two types of uh, sunscreen. It's mineral and synthetic. Black girl sunscreen takes on the form of synthetic. And um, really what makes your skin white is the titanium oxide. And that's just a, it's a white ingredient. There's nothing you can do with it. Um, so with that, that's the route we had to choose, mm-hmm. right? That's what makes your skin white. The inactives are what can make your skin, um, 
like make it feel sticky. So it really just depends. And an active is something that is works secondary. The actives of sunscreen are really the UV uh, filters that actually protect your skin from the sun rays, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So um, that's really what it is in a nutshell is the titanium oxide and the zinc that makes your skin white. Black girl sunscreen doesn't have that. But, you know, what we've learned is that not everybody cares for a synthetic formula. Some people want a mineral formula. Um, and it's just it just depends on where you're at as a sunscreen user. That's it. Yeah. But the main point of it, the, the main point of this is that uh, let's say before Black Girl Sunscreen, if larger traditional companies had realized that and that were actually speaking to us, they would know that like, hey, this doesn't work for a darker complexion. What can we do about it? But even steps before that, it's okay. Well, realizing darker skins can still get sunburned. It might be at a lower case, but it still happens. And it's harder to detect. So I think that the problem that we're addressing could have been solved years ago. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And I think when I when I think of Black Girl Sunscreen, I think of your brand as among those brands as like a skincare savior for our community, because I think, like you said, a lot of us don't think we need sunscreen. We didn't think it was for us. We don't think we can get skin cancer. But I think. Your product has made it accessible in a way that people, one, want to wear sunscreen now, and two, they're becoming educated on how the sun does affect our skin. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Wholeheartedly agree with you because, uh, you know, that's that's our mission, right? To at least start the conversation of should we or should we not? Mm -hmm. And everyone is going to have their own opinion, and that's cool. We just want you to have an opinion on it. Yeah. And and not not have an opinion on it because when you when you don't care about things and that's when it just is just like okay whatever. But if you actually care, then we either do something about it or we don't. You either mm-hmm. choose to wear sunscreen or you don't. You either choose to tell your kids about sunscreen or your mother, your brother, your sister, whoever it is, and then you then you start to say like okay, sunscreen can help fight A, B, C, and D. Right. So it's just it's just so many things that have occurred since the emergence of black girl sunscreen. Mm, yes. And I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about uh, your process when you were developing the product. Like, how long did it take you to land on a formula that was right for you? And what was it like when you first got the final formula in your hands for the first time? Oh, it took months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes months because um, first you create it. And then um, you have to go through different testings. And testings, a test is a test. Not everyone aces a test first try. Mm-hmm. Right? You might have to reformulize or, you know, reformulize just means just doing something different before you're like, okay, this is perfect. So, you know, that's one thing. I, that's one, one of the reasons why there aren't so many brands within the sun care market is because of the it's time consuming it's expensive or costly. I wouldn't say expensive, but it's, it's costly. So it took over, it took about a year mm-hmm. um, to actually come with, um, I would say, you know, that perfect formula at the time, you know, but as we continue to grow with and having more resources and just knowing what we know 
now as opposed to then, you know, we're, we're tweaking things. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it just takes time. Yeah. And patience. Yeah. Time and patience with, with anything and everything, especially when it comes to the product space. Um, I also want to talk about Target because, you know, your your product is has a permanent spot on Target shelves. But I want to talk about when did Target come into your life and how did that relationship develop? Uh, you know what's interesting about Target? Side <laughs> note, I always thought Target was like hella expensive. <laughs> Yeah, I think people think that they compare like Target and Walmart and they're like, Target's the bougie, bougie place. Facts. So I was like, oh, I'm like, nah, I'm gonna pass on Target because they like, they're like 50 cents more than than Walmart. Legit. (laughs) Think about that. 50 cents. Mm -hmm. Probably not even. And, uh, but Target's um, reputation, I think, has has changed, right? When yeah. since when I was like buying stuff, I and I have to admit, I don't go into stores that often, uh, even pre-COVID. Um, I like I don't like to go food shopping, so Me I either. Instacart everything. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm an online shopper, so whether it's from my favorite boutique clothing store, or whatever, I just get it delivered. Doesn't work, I return it via whatever postage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really. I think when you come into this game, not everybody knows their plan, right? So with Black Girl Sunscreen, like, what was the plan? We started off with one SKU. We currently have three today, with more on the um, with with more developing. It what it is? Uh, okay. So what do we do? Do we just keep it consumer consumer based? Meaning, like, do we just continue to sell on our .dot com platform? Do we try to get into retail stores, like? What's the plan? And I think that every you don't always have the answer when you start, mm-hmm. and things happen naturally. And then you're presented it, uh, you're presented an opportunity, and then you explore. And that's really what happened with Black Girl Sunscreen and, and Target. From my perspective, it was okay. Here is this company that's making a lot of noise um, for what we could do, right? Like we didn't have. Um, the budget to do like commercials and billboards and radio ads. We were strictly using using just our digital, the digital platform, mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook, and not so much Twitter, just straight up Instagram. Cause that was what, what was popping at the time in 2017, 18, like mm-hmm. everybody was on the gram. Right. And, um, and your Google visibility. So with that being said, uh, you know, the the phone, the phone rang. And, and, and that's when, you know, the, the conversation started happening. Like we're looking for, um, you know, a sunscreen brand that's able to resonate with the community. And it seems like, you know, you're able to do that. And can we put it to test? Put us to test? Sure. <laughs> we're going to pass the test. Right. And that's exactly what happened. You know, the community has been very welcoming and mm-hmm. very supportive. Um, but at the time, like, we didn't really know. We were just like, listen, I'm telling you from the second grade, I've had a competitive nature in me for You're years. You're going to win regardless. You're going to win. For years, right? Mm-hmm. Since, I, since I've been seven, year, seven years old, we're about to rock this. Yeah. And uh, that's what happened. So we launched digitally on Target.com in the winter, right? So uh, sunscreen season is... Um, it typically starts uh, like right about now, like March. If if things were normal, people would be going on spring break. Cobbles, you know, um, 
Cancun, Miami, <laughs> Miami, right? <laughs> if you can go international, um, even I would say um, Virginia, Hampton, mm-hmm. uh, Virginia Beach, whatever. And uh, yeah, so it starts, I would say March, and then it starts to decline in in, our, in August. But we launched digitally in January, and then we transitioned to an end cap in, um, I can't even remember. Uh, I think it was like May. Mm-hmm. And and then we came off the end cap and they told us that we did so well that they would like to give us permanent placement for the next year, which was um, we were ecstatic. And even if it was permanent placement within, you know, a certain demographic, we would take it. Right. Because I believe in uh, crawling, walking and then running. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's progress. It's, it's progressive. And sometimes you have to understand what it even feels like to be in a certain amount of stores. You know, do you have the resources uh, to, to even handle, you know, that type of production? So it was good the way we um, had our, we started off our community, um, our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love the target uh, relationship. We love it. I, yeah, I love Target. And I know you, you mentioned the resources it takes to even be in the retail space. Can you kind of talk about for people who are unfamiliar or aspiring to even have that shelf placement one day? What does it take to get into to Target and like prepare to even have your product on the shelves? Uh, what does it take? I think so. So, so things are changing. Uh I mean, on the real, like retailers are looking for black brands to to say that they now have black brands on their shelves. Mm-hmm. That is just what it is, right? Now, that's not discounting what we're doing as business owners. It's not saying that the products that we're creating aren't good because they're great. Retailers are just now recognizing that they need diversity in their stores and that we too are capable of producing bomb ass products. Period. So with that being said, um, I would say that, um, you know, having a presence is important um, for your brand, just the the visibility and then um, not being afraid to take that risk. Like uh, some brands are will say like, hey, I'm not I'm not ready for that. But how do you know if you're ready if you haven't tried it? It's it's kind of like not being thrown in the pool and saying like swim, but mm-hmm. it, it kind it, it kind of is. And um, I would also say that, you know, tapping into your, to your network to say like, okay, I'm going to get this PO for whatever, I don't know, 20,000 units. How am I going to produce them? Where am I going to get the capital? Well, ask everyone that you know, mm-hmm. right? Like what's your priority? Like, you know, so sometimes you have to scale back. Like you might not be able to get that hairdo. You might not be able to get your nails done because every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that, you know, just having the patience and then being open-minded and willing to learn is what you need mentally to, to, to be on the shelves. And then to sell is, okay, you need a marketing strategy because the retailer doesn't sell it for you. Mm-hmm. You do have to know who your audience is, understanding your selling points, and then communicate that. And then guide your, your your followers or your your audience, your community to that retailer, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have options. So if you're being sold in, I don't know, let's say you're being sold in like three stores, you're in Walmart, Target, and I don't know, Sephora or something, and you have your dot com. 
well, who who's going where, right? Like what 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 are you telling your your consumers? So I think that that's actually really important as well is being able to direct your community, your users to different um, kind of distribution channels, mm-hmm. and how you do that is 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 imperative. Mm, so many good insights there. One thing that I want to touch on from that is being able to do all that and, and achieve success with Black Girl Sunscreen and Grow. You need to have the right team in place. Um, can you talk about what your experience has been like growing your team? Like, when did you bring on your first employee to the team, and what advice can you share for people listening in terms of building their team? Um, my first. Uh... You know, I employ the word. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that was probably my web developer because mm-hmm. um, I thought that was like one of the most important things um, because if we didn't have a website, then how could we sell? And then my second um, person that I had helping was uh, social media, mm-hmm. right? Because, um, you know, even though I was giving a lot of direction, um, doing those those. I wouldn't say tedious, but the interaction and the engagement on social is still really important because it's social. And the way we grew our following was legit, like jumping in people's DMs, like, hey, we're a new brand. Would you mind supporting by following? Like doing those really like nitty gritty things Mm -hmm. that you don't think people do, but they do it. To this day, I still get messages like, hey, support my book. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Take you back. Yeah, but I did that, you know? So that was the second person, but they were all, you know, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say virtual, but we would just, you know, meet on the phone and then on the computer. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't until 20, 2020. Um, so last year we went from having, um, maybe about five people that were contractual to having, we have 11 full-time people. That's incredible. Team. Yeah. Yeah, I would say to to be honest, it feels like a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And it's like you know these tasks will be will get done, like our campaigns will get executed. Mm-hmm. But uh, the people people part of it is the probably the hardest part. Mm, I can imagine. But I was I was just watching the Instagram story the other day, and I think it was yesterday, and I saw you guys were having a baby shower for one of your um, employees. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. I love that there's a, this community with your team. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we, um, you know, for me, it's about building like company culture, right? Like mm-hmm. why is Black Girl Sunscreen a great place to work? And it's not because we're throwing parties. It's because, you know, we want you to feel special. Yeah. Um, we want you to feel like you're valued. And, um, you know, for the young lady that she's having a baby, like um, Monday's her last day and we surprised her. And she had like no idea that we were throwing wow. this this baby shower for her. But like everybody, you know, collaborated and, um, coordinated and planned, planned this special day. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't necessarily, we don't only just throw parties, but we have team building activities. Like, yeah. you know, the black girl sunscreen headquarters is filled with canvas art that, um, is created by, um, everyone that works there. So on your first day, um, it's not like your typical first day, but on your first day, you make a canvas art. Wow. I love um, that. And that's going to go somewhere in the office. We don't know where yet because it really just depends on like what you do. <laughs> <laughs> How good that the art turned out. Right? 
No, 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 no. Because it's all subjective, right? Art oh. is subjective. Mm-hmm. And we're, we, you know, we use brand colors. So it's, it's mm-hmm. all on brand. It's just about, can it fit in this series? Does it fit in that wall? Okay, in this got you. That, that's all. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, we have another, we have a team building, um, another team building, uh, you know, activity coming up on Monday, a, to say goodbye to the, to the, not goodbye, but, you know, we'll talk to you. Exactly. Uh, and then we have two new, um, girls starting on Monday. So we'll be painting for the, um, half the day. And then we're also wallpapering one of our bathrooms. So we do things like this, right? <laughs> Just to kind of build, right? And it doesn't always have to be work, but it can be work. But it's like, what what results out of those conversations that are just being had in the bathroom, right? Because yeah. ideas don't have to always come out at a conference table. Yeah, I love that. And I kind of want to switch gears in a moment and talk about your own personal skincare routines, hair care routines. But the last thing I want to talk about business related is this quote you said in an interview with The Cut where you said, we started BGS with the goal of eliminating the white residue, but now we're on to bigger things. We're creating a legacy and shifting mindset. So for you, what does the future of BGS look like this year? Like, what are you working on? What can we expect what is what's in store? Uh, you can expect us to keep growing, to make a splash, to be everywhere, um, everywhere we can be this summer. Whether it's the beach, the pool, um, by by your by your um, your bedside, on your vanity, mm-hmm. um, you know, on your on your walks, in your fanny packs, listening <laughs> in your kids' strollers, um, black girl sunscreen. We need to be everywhere where we could possibly be used. Because um, if we are on the mission and vision of starting and continuing the, the, the conversation, well, we need to be there. If we are on the trajectory of being a global brand, that means the product has to be used. So expect Black Girl Sunscreen to be that brand that you're like, damn, I'm tired of seeing it. You know, you ever just be like, okay, this commercial just, okay, um, okay. Like, I can't anymore. <laughs> but right? we need you it, literally. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But we we need that. Like, I think, like we said earlier, like that visibility and that accessibility of having a sunscreen that is for us, it's changing everything. Like people, I think this next generation is going to understand the importance of sunscreen because I think, you know, maybe it'd be our parents or our grandparents. They weren't talking about sunscreen, but we're going to be talking about sunscreen. Our kids, kids are going to be talking about sunscreen and we're going to have options that are are here for us. So I think that's incredibly powerful what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes of The He Report. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also stay connected with our growing Black beauty community by following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The He Report. And as a reminder, the next episode is dropping on July 13th, so make sure to mark your calendars and stay tuned.